0: Psalm 19, we've already worshipped our way through it, and let's read it through together. That'll be a framing text for today. Psalm 19, found in your pew Bibles on page 433, and you'll want to leave your Bibles open. Page 433. Yes, you can use your new bookmark. That's very good. Don't leave it in there, though. Well, you could. Somebody else may find it. Hear the word of the Lord. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, or are there words? Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant horned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clear me from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me, that I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer, the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a friend who is a psychologist, and he says that if you really want to know what people believe and what they value, what their priorities are, don't listen to what they say, but look at what they do. Mary, he says to me, truth is in behavior. So, if you tell your friends you don't have a crush on the girl that they all think you have a crush on, but then they see you arranging your chair in the upper crust so that you can have an angle to see her around the corner, (laughs) or if you've chosen an 8 o'clock class because she is in the 8 o'clock class, Or if suddenly you find yourself in chapel every day because she goes to chapel every day, they're going to know that what you say is not consistent with what you are doing. Likewise, if you say that creation care is a real important part of what you want to do, it's how you want to live your life, you talk to your friends about it, you know, you're big on the kilowatt thing, but people see you leaving the water on while you brush your teeth and you leave the lights on and you drive to the gym, right? <laughs> if, if they see you living that way, they're not going to believe what you say. We're all in some way hypocrites like this. We all kind of say certain things and do other things, right? We amen the preacher when he's talking about tithing, but we hardly ever put anything in the plate, we nod along when our health professors talk to us about how important it is to you know, stay healthy and take good care of our bodies. And then when we're in the line, we're like, um, no vegetables, extra fries. <laughs> and, and we know that it's important to love our neighbors, but when our neighbors show up in our house wearing an orange and blue sweatshirt, <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> we're all hypocrites. Our saying and our doing do not always match. But what's important to know tonight, what we need to get right out of the gate, is that God is not a hypocrite. God does not lie. And so, what God says, let's call that scripture, and what God does, let's call that creation, are going to match. They are going to be compatible because they are coming from the same source and God does not lie. Thank you. (laughs) And so what we do now is run into a bit of difficulty because there are things that come out in creation that don't always match the things that come out in Scripture. And we find these things puzzling. And there are Christians who have chosen to just discount one or the other. There are Christians that have chosen to kind of discount science. They say things like, the dinosaur bones were planted by God to test our faith. They say things like, all scientists skew their data and their big agenda is to disprove faith. There are Christians who just kind of discount Science, discount the study of creation. And then there are Christians who kind of discount scripture. They say, you know, a bunch of that stuff in the Old Testament, that's like the myths, it's like folklore. And you really can't take that stuff seriously. I mean, things don't really get real until Jesus shows up. I mean, the New Testament, Old Testament, not so much. And they just kind of discount scripture. But we say, as Christians who take both of these things very seriously, that you can't discount either. We say that both of these things, Scripture and creation, are wonderful gifts from God. They are gifts from God to the people of God. And it is our responsibility and our joy and our delight to study and know and engage with both Because we believe that both are telling the same story. It's interesting that uh, in Genesis 3, right after the man and the woman have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that their first response is to be afraid. It's to have fear. And they hide themselves and they pull back from God, And they, they even try to cover themselves with clothing. Because as soon as sin comes into the world, what people want to do is distance themselves from God. Fear has taken hold. And what we find so often in the discussions and debates that we have about creation, evolution, human origins, Adam and Eve, is that it's fear that comes into the mix. And we say things like, I'm afraid to take that biology course because if that professor starts laying out the evidence for microevolution, I really am afraid that that's going to undermine my faith. We say I'm afraid to read that book about human origins because I don't know what I'm going to discover there and I'm really afraid that it's going to cause me to doubt. And so instead, I'm going to be afraid and I'm going to pull back because I like my faith the way it is and I'm just going to stay right here. In my fear. Fear is the work of the enemy. Fear is the work of the enemy who says, Oh, yeah, I know, you don't want to study that stuff. You don't want to study that. Because that could show that God's lying. So don't study that, be ignorant. Don't get into scripture. Don't start comparing how the manuscripts of the ancient Near East compare with the book of Genesis. Don't do that. Because that's just going to show you that God's like not special. That God lies. So don't study at all. Be ignorant. That'd be great. Fear. The enemy works around issues like this to create Fear. And right against this fear, up into the face of this fear, come the words of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament displays the work of his hands. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. What we have here in psalm 19 is a perfect pairing of general and special revelation right we call creation general revelation we call scripture special revelation and here in this psalm we have both and the psalmist is taking joy in both of them the heavens declare the glory of god all the law of god revives the soul He says this is the way they are to be experienced, not separate, not barricaded off one from the other, but together because they are telling the same story of the glory of God. And so you have him spending verses talking about creation and then you have him spending verses talking about Scripture and then what does he do? There's a turn in verse 11 where he begins to talk to the Creator directly. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Clear me from hidden hidden faults, and I shall be blameless. And he ends by saying, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Why the move toward direct address when we get to the third section? Because scripture and creation both have the same purpose. They're not only telling the same story, but they have the same purpose, and that is to invite you into a relationship with God. And so if you spend time, as the psalmist does, glorying in creation, and if you spend time, as the psalmist does, delighting in the word of God, what will happen is that you are drawn into the holiness of God, and you confess your sins, and you're made right with God, and you want nothing more than to stay in the presence of God and worship General and special revelations, scripture and creation together are given to us to invite us into a relationship with God. I had a friend who was studying in Jerusalem, and he was taking a class on the Torah, and the rabbi who was teaching the class had just finished a lecture on the first few chapters of Genesis. And my friend raised his hand, he's from a Protestant faith tradition similar to many of us. And he raised his hand and he said, so, uh, sir, do you think that it was six 24-hour days of creation? Or do you think that because the sun was made on day four, that maybe the first few days were really long? And then maybe on day four, they like fell into a 24-hour rhythm? Or do you think that maybe when God rested, like the next week kicked off the 24-hour, like, what do you think? And the rabbi struck a thoughtful pose, and he stroked his beard, and he said, I've never thought about it. He'd never thought about it. Because the book of Genesis was a book about a relationship between God and God's people. And he, as a rabbi, knew that the book of Genesis ends with the formation of the people of Israel. And so it's a book that starts in relationship and builds into it all. Relationship, relationship, relationship. If you hang out with married couples ever, you should ask them how they met. Do you like to do this? I love to do this. How'd you guys meet? I know of one couple who met when she dialed a wrong number and he liked the sound of her voice so much that they just kept talking. (laughs) They are now grandparents, by the way. I know. I know two couples that met in the same grocery store in South Bend, Indiana. So, any of you want to visit that grocery store? I will let you know where it is. (laughs) I know of a couple that met because they were the only two people to show up at the church singles event. It worked for them. <laughs> when you ask couples these stories, they'll 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 kind of smile and time gets kind of slow. And one of them will start, right? One of them start. Well, it was like this, and da 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 da. And then the other one kind of jumps in and they add these little details, you know. And they'll say things like, "Oh man, he was wearing those big soccer socks with those like little soccer sandals, and I thought that was so not cool, <laughs> right?" Or he'll say something like, I was at the grocery store buying those frosted animal crackers and I was so embarrassed that I was buying frosted animal crackers that I put them behind my back for the duration of our conversation. (laughs) Right? They They will tell you the details and the nuance of how they fell in love. That is the first few chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1 is the love poem. And God spoke and it was and he said it was good and God spoke and it was and he said it was good and God spoke and it was and it was good and it was spoken and it was good and it goes on and on and all of a sudden it's very good. It's this beautiful love poem. And then Genesis 2 is the memoir. Genesis 2 builds on the first and adds nuance and color and texture to it. And what's really interesting is that Genesis 2 begins with a really formulaic line. Genesis 2, verse 4 has, this is the account of the generations of the heaven and the earth. In Hebrew, that's "Ela toledot. "Ela toledot. And that's a formula that comes up 10 different times in the book of Genesis. This is the account of the heavens and earth. And then it's, this is the account of Adam. This is the account of Noah. Shem, Ham, Japheth, Shem, Terah, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Jacob. Ten different times, Toledot, 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 Toledot. And the writer is saying again and again and again, this is the account of your people. This is the account of your family. This is the account of where you came from. And this is the account of your God. Because your God moves and says, I will have a covenant with Adam. I will have a covenant with Noah. I will have a covenant with Abraham. So what we see starting in the very early love story of Genesis is that our God is intentional in the way he moves toward human beings right from the beginning. Right from The beginning, a tale is told of a God who loves his creatures so much that he will do anything to be in relationship with them. And so when they hide and they are afraid and they do not trust, he brings them forward again and again and again. It's easy to read the creation stories and become a Unitarian, right? And just think of God the Father, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But Paul reminds us in Colossians 1 that it was in Christ all things were created, whether the thrones or dominions or rulers of powers, he says, through him all things were created and nothing was created without him. Right at the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit working together, loving each other to create a universe. So the short answer to how did God create the universe is this, in love. In love, he created the universe. And the story of Genesis is a story of a God who loves and loves and loves and never lets go all the way up until Jesus, the Toledote. This is the account of Jesus who comes from the Toledote, who comes from the Toledote, who comes from the Toledote, showing us that our lover will do anything to pursue his beloved, including moving from being the one who spun out the galaxies to a one who rests in Mary's arms. He will do anything for you. And this is why the enemy says, don't study the story. Don't look at science, don't look at the book because he knows that the more we study, the less we doubt. The more we study, the more we are moved to doxology, the more we are moved to praise, the more we are moved to glorify God for what he has done. Because even though there are things that do not match up, and honestly, we will not figure them out because, frankly, God is smarter than we are. We are invited to study and pursue because it is our lover who has laid out this love story for us in the word and in the world. I don't know how many of you know Jerry Van Kooten, who teaches in geology. Anybody have him? Okay, you totally have to have him. Yeah, shout out. Okay, he loves rocks. I mean, seriously, the man loves rocks. I was at um, a meeting with him last fall when he had to introduce himself, and he said, "Hi, I'm Jerry." And unlike the rest of you who can only enjoy rocks on the weekends, I get to enjoy them all the time. (laughs) And if you go to him and you say, "Hey, tell me the story of this rock," he'll say, "Oh, this rock," and he'll like tell you the whole story about where it came from and what it's about, and who, and all of a sudden you're like you're hearing what you're hearing is this praise. And they'll say, and this is what we learn about God from this rock. Isn't that amazing? It's just great, I just love rocks because rocks point me to God. And you're like, I'm glad you're at Calvin College. (laughs) That's what happens when you study the creation. That's what happens when you trust our professors. They will lead you not into doubt, but into doxology. And I know preachers who sit at their computers and they have the word open and they have the commentaries and they're reading their theology and they're writing a sermon and they have tears coming down their cheeks because of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they can't wait to preach it because it will bring God glory. That's what happens when you study the word. That's what happens when you immerse yourself in scripture. You do not doubt. You do not move away from God. You run toward God. Because the glory of God is displayed in the heavens and it's displayed in the firmament and it's displayed in his word. And because we believe that God does not lie, we are fearless when it comes to studying we are fearless when it comes to discussion. We are fearless when it comes to debate. Because we know that creation and scripture are working together to sing us a love song from our Creator the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who knows when a hair falls out of your head, the one who knows those moments when your words and your deeds don't line up. That one, that's the one who sent Jesus Christ so that not just creatures but all of creation will be redeemed. And someday all of us will gather around the throne and we will doxologize all over the place because we will, for the first time, have no fear we will have no doubt, we will be in the presence of our creator God who has given us his word and given us his world and we will understand or we won't care. And it will be amazing. So my brothers and sisters at Calvin College, do not fear these debates and do not hide from them because these are a gift, general and special revelation are a gift from your God to you, so that you can know how much he loves you. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you that from the very beginning of time, you called order out of chaos. You named people and called them into relationship with you. Not because of anything that they had done, not because they were so amazing, but because of your great love, Father, Son, and Spirit. We give you praise and thanks that you are the lover who pursues the beloved no matter the cost. We thank you, Jesus Christ. That you, who put the galaxies into orbit, are the one who came down and took on flesh. You, our word become flesh, something we say and do not understand. We thank you that you were born, that you died. We thank you that you rose again from the dead to give us hope and life. And we praise you, Holy Spirit, for you are the one who leads us into all truth. You are the one who is with us when we study the snowflakes. You are the one who are with us when we study the Hebrew. You are here. You lead us into all truth. And so we pray for each of us and we pray for our community that the enemy will have no place in these discussions or debates. That fear will flee And instead, what we will have is the Holy Spirit animating us to seek truth, because all truth is God's truth, and our God does not lie. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven and earth, and all God's people say, amen.